each uh, Sunday previously, we have divided up the passages uh, and the outlines so that we could uh, know how we're going to go back and forth today. We just looked at the whole thing. First of all, uh, if you were in the know, uh, we cut out half of the outline. <laughs> it was just <laughs> just too much. We realized we'd be here till past noon or something if we tried to cover it all. And uh, secondly, uh, we just looked at it and said, we just need to kind of go back and forth with this a little bit. But as I mentioned in my prayer, our goal is not to simply answer questions, um, but to help you understand how to search out questions uh, for yourselves. And we have looked at uh, questions that have very specific biblical answers. We have looked at those questions that are tough because they may have cultural influence. And today we're going to look at some questions for which there are no specific scriptures. Uh, Can we derive uh, a biblical understanding of those questions? And uh, by the way, uh, this isn't in your outline, but I would uh, suggest that if a matter is not discussed in the Scripture specifically by chapter and verse, that you not make it a matter over which to break fellowship. Uh, People somehow sometimes get divisive over issues for which there are no answers. And uh, they wrestle back and forth with those, and as a consequence, they... Uh, divide fellowship, and God loves unity, not to the exclusion of truth, but uh, in taking care that we um, make sure we have a solid footing upon which to stand. Um, There are some questions that have been asked here, and I put uh, off uh, to the right side this little tiny box with little tiny print, which I can hardly read. But it is an example of a logical syllogism. It has two propositions that, in this case, both happen to be true, and then it has a derivation or a conclusion that is based on those propositions. Uh, Propositions do not always lead to truth. If uh, or syllogisms, if your propositions are in error. For example, uh, you might say that uh, people play basketball. Is that true? It it is true. You you don't find horses playing basketball, do you? No, people play basketball. All human beings are people. Is that true? Yes. Do all human beings play basketball? No. So so you can construct an argument that ends up with a bad conclusion. Uh, You've got to make sure that in the context of everything, your arguments, your propositions, and your conclusions are accurate. But we can use logic to seek out the the meaning of scripture passages and draw conclusions about answers 
that are not uh, particularly there. Carrie, why don't you read these questions for us, and I'm going to get my... Oh, there it is, right behind me. Thank you. All right, so I expect nothing less from our, our uh, congregation but to ask some really challenging and difficult questions. By the way, in our youth program, we get these questions quite regularly. I was telling Paul this first one. Actually, we talked a little bit. We're in, we're in the book of Romans right now, and we were reading in Romans chapter 5 and talking about how all sin started with a single man, and it spread to everybody, and that's why we die. That's the biblical world worldview contrary to this idea that death and and reproduction and death and reproduction has happened from the beginning to the end. So we talked about, what is it? Dinosaurs. Why? Because you've got to talk about dinosaurs when you're talking about original sin. Uh, so we have... We, <laughs> you laugh about it, but it comes up. We were, I remember one, one, uh, one Friday night, I love junior hires, man. They're just such a scattered mess of crazy beauty. And uh, we were, we were t- I know, see, my son's like, what? And we were having this conversation. It was a really intense moment. You know, God was like, like falling on the group. And we were talking about um, some critical thing about making decisions and peer pressure and truth. And one of the junior hires raised his hand. And I'm like, great, we're getting some engagement. And I'm like, what was your question? And he goes, I just wanted to know, how did a T-Rex eat when they had such small arms? And I was like, that has nothing at all to do what we're talking about right now. What? What? <laughs> so, but we have to answer the question. So here's you just want me to go through all four of them because oh, sure. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna tackle all of them and they're all really challenging. So the first one is assuming God created dinosaurs, did they roam with Adam and Eve? And if they were vegetarians, was T Rex a veggie eating animal? Why were they not saved from the flood? And were the fish saved? That's question number one. That's a great question. Question number two. Is God the Son, the member of the Trinity, that walked in the garden with Adam and Eve? I like that one. That's a cool question, actually. Great question. Number three. Where did Cain get his wife? Only Cain and Abel are mentioned. Yeah, that one comes up all the time. There's whole websites dedicated to Cain's wife. It's so we got to have an answer for that one because it gets asked all the time. And then lastly... Will babies and children be grown adults in heaven? Another really great question close to our hearts. So, Well, as we start out, I want to mention to you that a certain uh, philosophy of faith and revelation is required when we approach a lot of these kinds of questions. Um, the question, for example, where did Cain get his wife? Um, I, I'm not going to delve into the answer at the moment, but I just want to remind us that the Bible doesn't tell us everything. In fact, John says at the end of his gospel, if I were to write down everything that Jesus said and did, I suppose the whole world couldn't contain the books. Now, admittedly, that's hyperbole. Um, he's making a big exaggeration to underscore that he only wrote a little bit of what Jesus actually said and did. But that's true for the whole scripture. The entire Bible does not seek to answer every question or mention every person. It only tells us what we need to know. And part of that is 
uh, understanding from, from a philosophy of faith and revelation that what God has given us is adequate. Yes. Uh, we don't need anything else to live complete, whole lives, to be born again in Jesus Christ, to have eternal life with Him, to have good family and human relationships, um, to conduct business in a godly way. Everything we need to know, God has given us in His Word. But He has by no means told us everything. And we have to just reckon with that. The Bible is not supposed to be an encyclopedic reference of everything that ever happened on the planet. Uh, it just touches those points that are essential for our understanding. you have any comments on that, or do you want to just jump in at the next one? Yeah, to me it's, to me it's, a, it's a vision. It's, it's presuppositions that we have about when we look at the world around us, what are we using? Um, I know like in, in some of our conferences that we've gone to when they talk about a biblical worldview, it's kind of, as believers, we believe, and we talked about this, that this word is unbreakable in its original, Hebrew and, and Aramaic and Greek, and we have close uh, translations that are right there. And so what we do as believers is we believe God, and there's lies out there. There's lies that I tell myself. There's lies that are being taught by the world. There's lies that are coming from our entertainment. There's truths, too, by the way. And the answer is, how do we know what is true and what is false? And, and we say that our highest form of truth is God. He's the definition of what truth is. In fact, uh, John said, too, about Jesus that grace and truth came through him. And, and this book is all about him. And so when it comes to some of the difficult questions, we look through the lens of the text as best that we can. But not everything is going to be displayed. I, I often wonder if I have a desire. Like, I want to go into, you know, like IMAX theater and stuff like that. Like, like these huge theaters. Will there be like a full 3D immersive? Like, I'd like to see the Lord speak everything into existence with the word. I'll, I'm just being honest with you. I'd like, I'd like to see him do it. I think we see it in part sometimes when he actually regenerates someone and they're born again. But, I mean, I'd like to go back and be like, Lord, can I sign up to see the 3D immersive thing where you made it all? Like, I want to see it all, right? But we don't always get that picture. But we have in part, and so we trust in part, and we tear the scriptures apart, and then we look at things in the world through the lens of the scripture. By the way, part of growing and sanctifying faith, in my opinion, is learning to do that. Because we've been told so many lies that frequently, when confronted with the truth in his word, sometimes we can be challenged with whether or not we believe it. Uh, because we've been so steeped in lies in our own mind. And we need to be willing and humble enough to say, okay, Lord, if you said it, I'm going to believe it. It's not blind faith, because I think everything reconciles together. So here's, that's my one thing. So, having said all of that, let's take it a step further and say, it is okay to make logical conclusions based on verses that we are given. Uh, God gives us sometimes snippets of truth and information 
that open our understanding and if we put them together in a logical fashion, we can draw conclusions that there's not a specific verse reference to support, but there is a collection of verse references that together imply that conclusion. And that's okay for us to do. Uh, some people have called that uh, sanctified imagination or sanctified logic, uh, meaning guided by the Holy Spirit. But uh, we expect that he, as our teacher, can guide us into that kind of truth. So if you ask the question, uh, was T-Rex a veggie-eating animal? Well, if you look in Genesis in chapter 24 of verse uh, in chapter 1 of and verse 24 then God said let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind cattle and creeping things and beast of the earth after their kind and it was so and God made the beast of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. And then if we go down to verse 29, the scripture says, Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit-yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So if we take those two sections and we put them together, we find out that God on this sixth day created everything that creeps on the face of the earth. Every uh, cattle, every animal, every bird, everything that moves about on the surface of the earth. Would that include dinosaurs? Well, if it says every, it would have to include dinosaurs, wouldn't it? Um, I, I'll confuse you in just a moment, but... <laughs> Let's just stick with what the text actually says for a moment. Now, the next statement he makes is, I've given you green plants for food. Every animal on the planet, every creature on the planet, originally ate from the green plants and fruit. And so they were all vegetarian, including... Uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, there was no outback steakhouse for them to visit. Um, it was it was all vegetables and fruits. And so the question or the conclusion to that is, <laughs> T. Rex was a vegetarian animal. Now, all of a sudden, we want to know. Well, what about these carnivorous animals that had sharp incisors and, and uh, a mouthful of ripping and tearing teeth 
and birds that have the ripping beaks that are designed to take apart the flesh of other animals. How do we explain that? Well, how do we explain um, Cain murdering Abel? Something happened after the fall of man that changed the complexity and, and the um, nature of the whole earth. And it's my conviction that as Adam delivered over to Satan the title deed of rulership, remember what God said at the end of chapter 1? To Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it, for all of this is yours. And Adam was drawn into sin. And what he did not realize, because Satan is always a liar and doesn't tell you the whole story, he doesn't mention the fine print. And so when he drew Adam and Eve into sin, what he didn't tell them was they were giving up their right of rulership and authority and surrendering to Satan, who was going to become the prince of the powers of the air and the god, small g, of this earth. And as a consequence of that, he began to introduce corruption and death into the world. And, and I think what happened is, is that over time, as he incited certain animals to devour others, um, changes began to take place through his instigation that led to the situation that we have now. We talk about nature being both horrible and beautiful. Um, nature uh, is in many ways horrible. Uh, it has elements to it that literally are the survival of the fittest, not because that's true biblically and evolution, but is true from an evolutionary standpoint, because the world is at odds with itself, and things have happened as a consequence. So we can say from Scripture that T. Rex started out as a vegetarian, until something happened to him. <laughs> so, um, so actually, in the Bible, when did God actually give man um, authorization to begin eating meat? Anyone? After the flood. So, technically, uh, human beings were supposedly supposed to remain as vegetarians until after the flood. It was after the flood when actually God told him, God told Noah, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall now be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. That's a difference. That's different than what he said in the Garden of Eden. And the creation has been frustrated. I think everything, space, everything, not just the earth. Stars began to deteriorate. The earth begins to, the whole universe is groaning, waiting for redemption, not just of man, 
but of the entire creation, it says in the book of Romans. So one of the ideas too, by the way, just philosophy, when did the word dinosaur actually come to be? When was it coined? Anybody? It was in the 1800s, actually. It's not that old. The word dinosaur is not that old. So what do you think that we called them before that? I love this one. Dragons is how we would use it. So I love fantasy, honestly. Like, do you know that in history, almost every single culture has dragon stories? Every single culture. Even, and I was telling Paul, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that the, the Chinese month calendar, right? It's made up of animals. Do you know that there's only one animal on the calendar that doesn't exist right now? What is it? It's the dragon. So then the question becomes, did dragons really exist? And, and I say from the fossil record, oh yeah, I think that they existed. Did they walk with people? Yeah. So chances are too, one of the beliefs is that it was probably juvenile uh, reptiles. Here's, here's a, a little known fact. How long did human beings live even after the fall before the flood actually happened? How long? Yeah, a- Adam was 930 years old. Methuselah, who died in the year of the flood, was 969 years old. So do you know that reptiles actually never stop growing? They never stop growing. As long as they're alive, they continue to shed and grow and grow and grow and grow. So I I don't think it's really hard to think, biblically, that if human beings live to be 900 years old and a reptile like a Komodo dragon can actually live to be 80 or 90 years old, what if it lived to be 1,000 years old? What kind of lizard are we talking about, people? I'd like to see Steve Irwin take that one on. What? I'm going to tackle it. Cranky. You know what I'm talking about? All right, so actually, in the, you know, one of the oldest, oldest scriptures, the, it, it's, um, historically, one of the oldest texts in the Bible is considered to be one of our poetic books. It is Job. the book of Job. And, so, and you know I'm going to go there because it's so fun because I love doing it. But in the book of Job, uh, in chapter 40, there, starting in verse 15, there's actually a whole section of passage about this animal called the behemoth. And frequently we're like, some of our translations say it's a hippo. But the Bible actually says that it was so gigantic that its legs were like trees and it had a tail that was massive. Have you ever seen a little a hippo tail? It's like a little teeny thing. It's like cute. It's like... It's like a little thing on the end of its little butt. It's like, I mean, so you you, you read this and it's like, how could that be a hippo? How could this even be? When you read about it, it's, by the way, it's in Job chapter 40, starting in verse 15. It says that he makes his tail stiff like a cedar and the sinews of his thigh are knit together. His bones are like tubes of bronze. And then in in chapter 41, the whole chapter is dedicated to this thing called the Leviathan which seems to me to be a water dragon, people. I don't know what else to call it. Like, if, if I didn't tell you that I was reading from the Bible and I started reading from it, because this thing can breathe fire. This thing in, in Job's book can breathe fire. It was fearful. And, and it was like, hey, can you, hey, Job, can you capture Leviathan with the hook? Can you bring it in? And, of course, the question is, uh, no, I'm not taking that thing on. And, of course, the insight is, well, I can do it because I'm the one who made it. And when you read about it too now in science, you can actually start putting it together. And when you, when you actually take the description, it doesn't look like an alligator, people. It looks like a water dragon thing. And uh, 
So I was laughing because there was this uh, move, this uh, television program. It was called Surface some years ago. And uh, when I was watching it, I was watching this thing. It was like a big hyped up thing, you know, on like one of the major uh, um, uh, um, television channels. And I'm like, I want to watch this thing. And the whole premise was about these dragons that were living underneath the earth that were now being released and wreaking havoc on the earth. And I'm like, whoa, man, a Christian wrote that. Because he's like talking about Leviathan, people. Like that's close to what the Bible is. So I'm just saying that are there things in there? Uh, In fact, there's another passage, I think, in in Isaiah that actually talks about flying lizards. By the way, there's a a whole bunch of history that you put together. And uh, so I actually think, um, yeah, that, that dinosaurs existed. And Job, by the way, it's believed that Job actually lived probably close to right after uh, the flood, like maybe he was a contemporary of of Abraham, and uh, in fact, I read this one really great article. It was it was awesome, and it, of course, it was a Christian that was making like some sanctified imagination about this idea that Job was the one that was involved in the creating of many of the uh, of some of the uh, pyramids of Egypt. Because you know how have you ever read about any of the pyramids? Like how incredibly precise they are to astronomical stuff so a lot of people believe it it requires like almost divine knowledge to build something like that and uh pretty phenomenal stuff so he he writes about them right there i say that those are dinosaurs people do we still have dinosaurs today there are some amazing crazy looking lizards in the world like if you go to the zoo or 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 stuff and i'm just saying if they live to be a thousand years old and they grew big i don't want to see one of those running on water lizards running towards me i'm just saying (laughs) <laughs> you know what the first the first the first one we did together s- someone was headed out the back door and they said uh, boy we really like this uh, team preaching kind of stuff you know because just about the time we're gonna nod off Carrie starts up <laughs> I didn't tell him that yet but <laughs> how do you do that little thing yeah it's like a little your... it's a hippo tail <laughs> So, a lot of questions come up with this, and by the way, I don't think we're going to get done with this. Okay. Um, a lot of questions come up when you start analyzing this, though, like, what about all this science? What about carbon-14 dating? What about the sedimentary layers in the, in the Earth's surface? What about um, the extinction of the dinosaurs? How did all that stuff happen? And I want to just give you enough to pursue a little further, uh, if you're willing to do that. You can, you can do an internet search on radioisotopes that have to do with, um, uh, carbon 14 dating and, uh, the atomic clock, which by the way doesn't, uh, run on carbon, it runs on cesium, but, uh, 133. But anyway, um, they were doing some research and they discovered that what they thought was a constant, okay, um, uh, radioisotopes are supposed to give off, it's called scintillation, they're supposed to give off uh, their particles at a predictable rate that never changes. That's why the atomic clock is so accurate, except as they did some research, they discovered that it wasn't quite as accurate as they thought it was. In fact, it was influenced by solar flares and solar storms that actually changed the scintillation rate of the cesium-133. And so 
Um, I, I come to the end of this article and a professor emeritus of physics says, and this is a fascinating quote, it doesn't make sense according to conventional ideas, Fishbuck said. Jenkins whimsically added, what we're suggesting is that something that doesn't really interact with anything is changing something that can't be changed. And he's talking about the neutrinos that the sun e emits that uh, invade the Earth's atmosphere and actually change the rate of decay of certain of these... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? No, it's not... It's, it's um, radioactive, thank you. I appreciate that, that helped me a lot. Uh, the radioactivity of certain of these uh, elements <coughs> that um, gives us insight into the fact that carbon-14 and other radioisotopes have not always scintillated at the rate that they do today. In fact, who knows before the flood what the rate of decay of carbon-14 was. In fact, there may not have been any decay because after the flood, something dramatically changed. Yes. Uh, those of you that are uh, into uh, electronics and other things like that, um, if you take a capacitor and you short it and bleed it off, um, you find that it will maintain its current charge to a certain point, and then when you introduce the short, it will decay to practically zero. And that curve that is drawn by the rate of decay is called the universal rate of decay. If you plot the ages of the patriarchs going back to Adam and following through to Abraham and then to David, if you plot their ages on a graph... Their ages after the flood suddenly begin to decline yeah. and they get shorter and it follows that universal rate of decay. One asks the question, why does it do that? It's most likely because of exposure to radiation from outer space, from the sun, after the structure and atmosphere of the earth was changed as a consequence of the flood. So is carbon-14 a reliable dating method? Only if you believe that the present is the key to the past. But Peter calls those people fools who think that nothing has ever changed from the beginning. Correct. Because in fact, things have changed. And... The flood is a dramatic example of the change in the Earth's nature, in its atmosphere, and what's going on with the Earth. The other thing that's interesting is that um, they use the layers of sedimentation as an example of evolution, and, and they start out with the trilobites, you know, those things that look like horseshoe crabs, and they move along in the various uh, stratigraphic layers, 
as they come up to the present and when man is introduced and whatever. And so you have this, if you look in a book uh, on biological evolution, you have this nice, lovely drawing of the sequence of the sedimentary layers and how each life form occurred at certain periods. There's only one problem. Those layers don't exist anywhere on the surface of the earth. It's completely made up. The layers are there, but they're never in the same order. They're all jumbled up. They're all mixed up. But they have neatly sorted it out according to their presuppositions. And then based on the presuppositions, they use this circular reasoning that says, oh, well, we found this in the trilobite layer, so we know it has to be uh, 4 million years old, or 40 million years old, or a billion years old. And this has to be uh, 2 million years old, and this has to be 100,000 years old, because this is the layer we found it in. Well, that layer doesn't exist anywhere on the planet in that kind of sequence. It's purely circular reasoning to support a presupposition of how things occurred. Uh, that's why I said uh, early on that evolution is just as much a matter of faith as the Bible. Because you can't prove either one. You have to take either by faith. And... In this case, faith means I cannot go back and unravel the mysteries of the beginning any more than an evolutionary biologist can do that. He takes his presuppositions by faith, and I take mine by faith. Would you rather believe God or a scientist? Why did dinosaurs become extinct? Well, again, probably because of the size, because of the shortened lifespan, because of exposure to radiation. What happened to our own lives? And why do we struggle with some of the diseases that we struggle with? What's going on inside of us that's causing us to decay? Basically, from the moment of our birth, that's causing us to move toward death. What's happening that did not happen in the Garden of Eden before the fall and did not happen before the flood. What's happening now? Something dramatic has changed. Do you want to move to another question or are we going to wrap up? Whatever you want to do. Um, I guess, yeah, I actually think that probably on the ark... Um, my my brother-in-law, he's got this messed up dog. Um, it's a, it's like this hairless looking rat thing. It's a chihuahua though, and uh, it, it's 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 really kind of messed up. And I use it as an example in youth group because um, speciation and microevolution, you know, adaptation and stuff actually happens. And chances are, on the ark, dinosaurs were on the ark. They were probably juveniles, and they were small. And because they were easier to collect and then had all of the DNA in them that was needed, actually, to, to create all of the different dogs that we have. But I'm telling you, 
A pug isn't going to create an, anything other than a, another Wait messed a up looking dog. Dinosaurs had the DNA to create the dog. No, no, oh, no, I, no. I, I'm I, saying I just, that. I'm saying that that, that that there's a that that uh, the dogs on the the parental dogs on the ark had the genetic material to make up all of the different species of dogs that we have, even that messed up okay. one. But that messed up <laughs> chihuahua is not going to make like massive uh, wolf item. You know what I'm talking about? And the chances are, too, with dinosaurs, they were probably, um, we see them. So we st- In fact, there's things, too, like alligators and trilobites that are still in existence right now. And the, the, the creatures that came onto the ark were sufficient, picked, picked by God, right, to actually create and populate the earth as we have it today. Um, we're kind of running out of time. It would have been a really good thing, then, to talk about genetics and where did Cain get uh, his wife from, actually. So I'm going to go ahead and hit that one. All right, I'll knock on it. It's a fun one. So um, where did Cain get his wife? Hey, do you know what Eve's name is? It means basically Adam named Eve in the Bible living and because she was the mother of all living people, every single one of them. That's what her name is all about. I, I usually ask our kids, I'm like, hey, when you get older and you get married, are you going to marry a relative? And what do they say? <laughs> Absolutely not. What is that, crazy? I'm like, well, then what are you going to do, marry an alien? That's what I ask them. Because we're all related. We actually, according to the Bible, the scripture says that Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Repeated in the book of Acts, it says this, that God made from one man, and I would say then one woman, because moms, I'm just, you know, guys don't pop babies out, all right? That just doesn't happen. So one man in one woman, he made from one man, which, by the way, Eve was part of Adam. Like, they're related, right? Like, there's some relationship there, too. It wasn't a, a completely different creation. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. How messed up is that, that we have hatred for one another when in reality we're all related? There's really only one race, people, according to the Bible. The human race. And we've all descended from Adam and Eve, every single one of them. So that being the case, we, can, we get this question. Usually it's, a, it's a kind of a... I usually get the question because it's like, I don't going to believe the Bible because where did Cain get his wife? Did he marry one of his sisters? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, see, look at how jacked up that is. That's kind of what the answer you get. But, but the reality of it is, is that we believe that um, Adam and Eve had children beyond Cain and Abel. In fact, in the book of Genesis, it actually says in Genesis chapter 5, the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, who was at least his third son, Seth's name is appointed, which was he was appointed uh, son after Cain rose up and slew Abel, okay? that he became the father of Seth and they were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. And so him and his wife had a lot of kids. I used to say, like, if you lived a a thousand years old and um, there's a lot of eggs and that's a lot of nine-month periods, you can have a lot of babies possibly in that period of time. And that's exactly what happened. And babies had babies, and more people had babies, and more people had babies. That's my take, basically, uh, from the Bible. So then the question is, well, why do we have all these laws, then, about this? Because is it right? Here's the big question, right? Isn't incestuous relationships like a prohibition? 
biblically are they prohibited in the Bible? I'll leave that to you now. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. Actually, incestuous relationships are prohibited. They are. They were prohibited in the giving of the law. Correct. And the reason is because after a certain period of time, from the very beginning, the human race had sufficient and adequate population to continue without any kind of brother-sister, brother-cousin, sister-cousin kind of thing going on. And besides that, as we move further and further from Adam and Eve, the gene pool begins to change and you get intermarriage within families today and you get some pretty strange things. Talking about your brother-in-law's weird dog. You get some pretty strange things and in all seriousness, it... Um, it creates a, a major problem uh, genetically. And so there was a point in time when God said, the goal's been accomplished, the human race is off and running, no more of this stuff. You know, this is how it has to be from now on. And there are a lot of things like that that begin to change as time goes along and God introduces those, someone asks about multiple wives uh, in the Old Testament and did God just overlook it? Well, not really, um, but you get his perfect um, response in the New Testament when it speaks of church leadership having one partner. And the reason for that is because that is the ideal. Uh, God did, in a sense, overlook a lot of things in past generations. And we run into that today as missionaries. And we go to, to uh, cultures where polygamy is routinely practiced. And uh, we have to be very careful not to impose our culture on those relationships, but eventually, as time goes along, they also come into conformity with later revelation in the Scripture. But it takes a while. You can't just go into a culture and say, well, you've got to get rid of five of these women, and uh, they have no way to survive in that culture. And so all of a sudden, you've destroyed the not only the the relationships, but you've destroyed the economy of the culture. And so we have to exercise care. So in many ways, you have to look at Scripture over time and see how God's ideal is worked out. By the way, you know what the big ideal is? It's at the end of Revelation. When we have a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus Christ is reigning and ruling, and that's the, uh, the final story. Um, so, we're out of time this morning, but there are many things before and leading up to the flood and the Tower of Babel that God has withheld from us. Yes. We need to recognize that. Yes. And there's, there's a reason why God has done that. 
Uh, it has to do with the horrible depravity of the human race, things which we are better off not knowing. Did you know when the Israelites went into the land of Canaan, God said to them, do not inquire after their gods, that you become influenced by them and begin to practice their religion. There are certain things that we should not even look into. You know, I'm 60, almost 65 years old, and I will not to this day look in the occult section of a bookstore. I will not even read the titles on the spine. There's a reason for that. God has prohibited me from inquiring in that direction. I don't have to study the different types of occult practices to know that it's demonic. That's all I need to know. And there are other things like that, other religions that I don't need to study. I would be very leery of, of reading certain books that are the religious platforms of, of other uh, beliefs. Not that I'm trying to remain ignorant, but because, well, you may have heard it said that the way that they train the Secret Service to recognize counterfeit bills is by spending a lot of time with the real thing. Because the more you're acquainted with what is true, the easier it is to detect what is false. And the more that we are acquainted with God and with His truth, We don't have to study all this other stuff in the world to know that it's not right. We have all that we need to know, and God has given us that. So we have to be careful and exercise uh, divine wisdom in pursuing some of these other matters. Well, I hope this has been helpful. Um, Next uh, week, we're going to look at how to do some word studies And uh, I hope that some of you are already beginning to take the questions that you've asked and search them out on your own, because uh, that's the goal. I don't want to be standing up here with Carrie and me together and be the answer guys. Uh, We want to show you how to research the scriptures. So, Carrie, would you lead us just in a word of prayer? Father, thank you just for the opportunity. It's so... Precious that you've given us your word, and there are things that um, where you haven't been very clear in your word about it. And then we have science. And I remember uh, when Carl Kirby talked to me, he's like, uh, "There's nothing to be afraid of with science." And when science actually climbs the mountain of truth at the top, they will find the believer there with his Bible. And uh, there's many things in that that I believe are true. We trust you. We trust your word. We believe that we have everything that we need in your book and wrapped up in the living person of you and your son and your spirit. Everything that we need to be fully equipped unto salvation. And we pray that you would help us to be good stewards. We've been bringing this up uh, time and time again out of Timothy, that approved workmen are not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So help us to handle it. And to not be afraid of difficult questions or even to say sometimes, hey, I don't really know. 
But when you put these things together, this is kind of where I'm at right now. Um, but that's not critical. Let's talk about Jesus. And we give you thanks for uh, the opportunities that you do. And I pray that in the days to come, that you would challenge each of us individually with people that have maybe not put their faith and trust in Christ. And we'd have opportunities to dig through your word and use the knowledge that you've given us in the person of Jesus to expose people to all that you are and that you, we believe, will draw people to yourself through it. And we give you thanks, even using dinosaurs. In Jesus' name, amen.